When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. been a long time in the making unbeknownst to me oh yeah it has been it has been though like literally almost exactly almost a year a fucking year holy shit yeah yeah, we've been talking about this for a long time <laughs> i really dropped the ball on this one and i was like going through my records and i'm like oh yeah i need to do that oh yeah let's tell the story behind why we're doing this yeah yeah, yeah. so Last January, we went to the Record Riot. In Albany. In Albany. Mm-hmm. Very fun. We should go again next year, by the way. As long as they don't take unflattering pictures of me and use them as their event page. I because that's what that, they, that's, it's a covert operation. To that take. is exactly what they did, and yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> so, Dear Albany Record Riot, please knock stop, it off. Please, you do not have my permission to use no. my face in yeah. your in your promotional shit. I don't think we Because you take terrible pictures of me. Right? awful but anyway so we went last year so we went and we were just at a booth we're looking at records like you do at the record riot yeah and i found big country looked at you and said hey it's in a big country by big country because (laughs) apparently bands that have songs after their band name tickles our fancy exactly it does but also it's a really good song um yeah and i basically at this point was like that's the only song by big country yeah to which I was told immediately by the man working the booth that I was wrong. Yes. And I'm sorry I forgot their names. Uh, one, Mark, I and, think. And, and Nick? Yeah. I think it's Mark Nick and Nick. was definitely one of them. Me, Mike, Mark. I want to say Mark. I do Mark remember that they have a podcast yes. and it's called Long Range Sarcasm. Yes. Or and they a- also have their own record label yes. called Long Range Sarcasm, but known as LSR. LRS, long range sarcasm. That's it. You know words. 
And they also run a record shop slash bookstore in Syracuse, New York called Books and Melodies. Yeah. They are lovely. They were really nice. But he gave us the rundown on how big country is insanely underrated. And, and the we crossing, should take them seriously. <laughs> we should take them seriously. The Crossing is a bomb-ass album. He was right. And he was not wrong. Yeah. But I will tell you, I just listened to The Crossing. Oh, really? I have had that fucking album for almost a year. And I just, because I wanted to save it for a special for doing yeah. the episode. And I thought initially I was just going to do an episode on the album, The Crossing. But there's not a whole lot to talk about about the album itself. Mm-hmm. Then I did some digging mm-hmm. and realized Big Country has got an interesting story. Cool. So today... Can I call them Big Cunt for short? Yes. Cool. I actually am just disappointed (laughs) I didn't realize that I could do that. Damn, I'm dropping the ball. Welcome to Rock Candy. Yeah. (laughs) And and we're talking about Big Cunt today. (laughs) Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats of tales and stories from the world of music. Also bringing you Big Cunt. Yes. That's oh, what you're God. here for. You're here for the big cunts. <laughs> I mean, yeah, at this point, we've been told we're, you either love us or think we're cunts. Yeah. So it kind of works. Yeah. Kind of works, actually. Yeah. This I is a very appropriate episode for us. So We're your big cool. cunt hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. <laughs> and yes, we are talking about the band Big Country, which I bet like people either saw the title. There's three reactions to this. <laughs> people saw the title and were like, oh, shit, Big Country. They're a great band. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. Or they saw Big Country. Didn't they have that one song called Big Country? Or you saw it and you said, what the fuck is a big country? Who the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. So there are three reactions. I don't know which one you fall into, but welcome. Enjoy your stay. Hopefully we can learn you something. Because I have problems with the fact that this band didn't get bigger. Yeah. I mean, this album is a really good album. The Crossing's a very good album. And they deserved uh, a whole lot more recognition oh. than they got. Even yeah, even though in a big country was their number one in America, at least yeah, it didn't get enough recognition that it deserved. It's a fucking jam. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, yeah, big country's a jam, and the whole album, The Crossing, is a jam. And yeah, they had a couple other albums that were definite jams. They had some flops. Yeah, which I will totally get into. <laughs> Woof, but. They can be definitely compared to U2 because they're kind of like the Scottish version of U2, like that big sound music and, but they're Scottish and like they were coming up around the same time and they actually were friends. I'm they ran in the I'm same squinting circles. squinting my I know. eyes like, like real hard. <laughs> like as squinty as I can squint them. What the listener doesn't know is I'm trying really hard to explain this to Ashley and she, I think her eyes are closed now. No, I can see. Oh shit. Oh my God. You're doing a good job. And my nose is turned up. So. Yep. Oh no. You, yeah. No. I'm. I'm trying real hard. No. My pro. But here's my problem: is that like you two got huge and big country didn't. Yeah. That's where I'm trying to go with this. Is Casualties that they can of war, man. Honestly, though. Yeah. And like they sang a lot about similar things, and for some reason, you two skyrocketed. Big country did not. It was the mullet, wasn't it? It was Bono's mullet. That's I mean, what that did it. That was hot, though. Yeah. Was it? That was an Uncle it was Jesse so mullet. Hot. And then, of, like, the best big country could do was, like, really tall, spiky hair. They just couldn't get that sweet mullet that Bono had. Yeah, it was definitely the mullet it was then. the mullet. Yeah. yeah. That's what it was. And then it turned into sunglasses. 
fucking hey he wears those because he has glaucoma okay that's that was his excuse he's like i wear these douchey blue and orange sunglasses because i have glaucoma i mean can't he just get surgery i mean my mom (laughs) has glaucoma too but she doesn't wear douchey bono sunglasses all the time well your mom's not douchey bono is she exactly oh my god could you imagine if your mom was bono i wouldn't talk to my mom anymore (laughs) no actually i would because then i can go visit her at her castle next door to enya yeah right i mean honestly i i'm i would only have a relationship with my mom for enya if she were bono from youtube worth it worth it yeah i like this alternate universe (laughs) really weird alternate universe where your mom's bono (laughs) very weird because Bono would have to be able to give birth so you know what though if there's any musician who's gonna do that it would be Bono right let's let's be honest yeah so you can be honest let's talk about this beer this beer we're drinking it's honestly good <laughs> get out that <laughs> oh a thousand it is it is actually quite it is quite tasty it is harvest from oxbow 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 brewing company and it's harvest because big country's actual first single is called harvest home this is a deep cut that only a fan would know. <laughs> and even a fan might be like, I don't fucking know who they're talking about when we put out the teaser. And here we are. It is a wet hopped farmhouse ale. Oh, production time was five weeks and they tell you to keep it cold and enjoy it fresh. Well, duh. They gave you directions on how to drink beer on the can. <laughs> In case you didn't know how to drink a beer. It's actually really fucking good, though. Yeah, it is. Like, I'm here for it. And it's 7%. I would not put a saison down for 7%. But here we are. Here we are. No, it's real good. If you guys see this, I think it's a newer beer too, because it looked it was in the newer section of Oliver's. So, <laughs> what they have a new section. They it's do like new releases at the. As soon movie as you rental. walk into the, as soon as you walk in the door, there's like two racks full of like the good shit, and then or the good new shit, and then around the corner is like the the slightly older. Oh, it's this like, was around the corner on the like, slightly older new shit. Around the corner is like the dollar movies. Yes, like the secondary movie theater. Yeah. yeah, like like new releases good... in the front, and then around the corner is the dollar movie theater. Yeah, but like the dollar movie su- theater is still real good. Well, yeah, I mean, normally I wait until it gets to the secondary movie theater, and then I can see it for a dollar. That's like great. I don't think any of that's a thing anymore. I think it's you're always not. Just spend $20 I just dated on myself. Your fucking movie, no I matter just, what. I just dated myself really. It's hard. all right. I didn't go to the movies enough. Well, that's enough about dollar movies. <laughs> The dollar movies, the right. beer. Yeah, let's stop dating ourselves. Yes. Now. Well, I mean, I think we're going to within this episode anyway. That's fine. Let's get into the story of Big Cunt Tree. Most of my sources are from interviews. You can actually find like a lot of YouTube interviews with most of the band members, but there isn't a really good article from loudersound.com called The Life and Hard Times of Big Country and Stuart Adamson. Huh. And that goes fucking deep. Like well, that's it's a good a, It was a really good resource. So if you want like a really good deep dive into what we're talking about, read that for sure. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you can YouTube so many interviews and they're pretty open and honest about the whole thing. So it's yeah. nice. They were one of the biggest rock bands in the world, but to us Americans, they are merely a one hit wonder. Granted, their US hit is a timeless banger. It's so good. So good. You can throw that shit on the jukebox any day of the week. I will never get sick of it. Yo, that shit. Weezer? Get the fuck out of here. Don't even touch it. Don't oh, if. Oh, no. Even. Do not. Think about it. Do not kids bop that shit. 
I swear to God, Weezer. I will come for you. Swear <laughs> to God. I will come for you. We're gonna. But big country is more than in a big country. Their discography is vast and impressive. And so is their story, filled with inspiring ups and crushing downs. What happened to this band across the pond outside of their brief U.S. success? Why did this band not continue to get radio play here when they are so beloved around the rest of the world? Yeah. Riddle me that, fucking U.S. Yeah, because we fuck up. We don't know good shit when we hear it, honestly. Sometimes we do. Sometimes, but sometimes we drop the ball. Sometimes we bono. (laughs) Well, let's take a deeper look at this rock band's history and try to figure it out. Big Country is a rock band that actually is from a relatively small country. Yeah. Scotland. But a pretty good country. Oh, that's a good country, though. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that the start of this band lies in the heart of frontman Stuart Anderson. Born in England to Scottish parents who decided to move back to their homeland when he was about a toddler, he had been playing in the music scene since he was a kid, and then he started his fair share of bands throughout his youth in high school. But before Big Country, he probably figured it was the punk rock new wave band Skids that he started that he would make it big with. Oh, that was the time, wasn't it? That was the time. The Skids. <laughs> Which, yeah. I, don't, I don't know about this. I don't know. Ooh, I don't know about this, guys. <laughs> the Skids were formed in 77, and Stewart shared songwriting responsibilities with their frontman, Richard Jobson. They found some success in their single Into the Valley, which landed at number 10 on the UK music charts. That's, you know, nothing to shake a stick at. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. That's pretty good. Not bad. Unfortunately, they began to increase in the amount of infighting as Richard tried to take more control of the band. This led Stuart to eventually leave Skids so that he could start a band where he could be in charge. And this was just as well because the Skids broke up a few years later. But you could say he definitely... Left his mark in skids. I fucking hate you. Oh my god. Somebody had to do it. There's only two of us here. That's the end of the podcast, guys. We're done. We made a shit joke. We gotta leave now. We finally gotta go. This is it. Finally made our skid mark joke. We're good. That's the whole. This has all been building up to that, hasn't it? Oh my god. Back at square one. Stuart decided to start a band with his friend, Bruce Watson, a native Canadian who moved to Scotland as a child, which is funny to me because he arguably has one of the hardest accents to understand. It is a (laughs) deep-ass Scottish accent. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, what part of Scotland did he move to? I can't say it and remember it. So, (laughs) Scotland. He moved Probably northern Scotland. Probably. Okay. Bruce brought with him an arsenal of talent in his guitar skills. He found ways to add colorful contrast to Stewart's vocals and melodies. Initially, they thought they had the band rounded out with drummer Clive Parker, Alan Weishart on bass, and his brother Peter on keyboards. But now some may know him better as Scottish National Party Member of Parliament, Peter Weishart. Oh. Yeah, he became a politician. That seems to be a thing. It is a thing, I think. The first, this first version of Big Country was passable. They sounded fine enough, but were obviously still trying to find their sound. And this was painfully displayed when, for some unknown reason, they were chosen to open for Alice Cooper. What? I want you to sit on that for a minute and really, like, who? But what? What? But Why? 
it yeah uh, happened wasn't great that that makes my brain hurt yeah i mean this concert was terrible for a couple reasons first i can think of several reasons why this would be terrible yeah i mean i don't even really need to you don't need to explain it i I get it (laughs) look big country was not metal at any point in their existence no so they aren't going to be something that alice fans are going to be like going for who made this decision like management did... i think they were just trying to get big country some kind of exposure but and did there's they a friend just... of a friend and like a negotiation was formed were they just like well we're in scotland we need a scottish band let's get these douchebags over here i have no fucking idea i wish i was a fly on the wall of that conversation granted if they were trying to find like an actual scottish band to open to open appropriately open for alice cooper i bet they'd be pretty hard pressed yep so i guess i guess i guess maybe it wasn't great though also their music still didn't have the thing it needed to move the masses it didn't have that itty bitty ting yet yeah Label companies were passing on them, and with that, manager Ian Grant convinced the two original members that a shakeup was in order. So keyboards were out, and of course that also meant his brother was going to go with him. Mm-hmm. And Clive left with his drum kit too. Stuart and Bruce looked around their circles and found two session musicians who they knew from the band On the Air, who opened for the skids a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> this included drummer Mark Brzezicki. And bassist Tony Butler. At the time, Mark and Tony were trying to get out of their session limbo by trying to find a band that was just starting from the ground up. They called themselves Rhythm for Hire, and at first they were just brought on to help record Big Country's first single, Harvest Home. Oh. But the chemistry was just there, and they became permanent fixtures in the band. Good for them. Right? Rhythm for Hire. (laughs) As they worked on more songs that showcased their developing big sound, they managed to get themselves signed to a record label, Mercury Phonogram Records. From there, they were set up with producer Chris Thomas, who had worked on classic records like Dark Side of the Moon and Nevermind the Bollocks. Oh, so well, this that's guy, an interesting resume. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, but like it's a nice mixture. You're like, yeah. oh, you got a little Pink Floyd, you got a little Sex Pistols. All right. Because I guess... Big Country kind of falls somewhere in the middle of those two. I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. When they went into the studio with him, they thought they were going to be working some real magic with this guy. Except he was pretty much phoning it in with Big Country. Because he kept having to travel to the Caribbean to work with Elton John on his next album, Jump Up. Oh, oh, excuse me, boys. I have to leave for a few weeks to go to the Caribbean. And work with Mr... Sir Elton John. I don't know if you've heard of him before, but oh. it's um, Sir Elton John. He wasn't a sir back then. He was just Elton. Mr. John. <laughs> if you're nasty. <laughs> I mean, ooh. Not for me, but okay. No. <laughs> the only thing that came out of those recording sessions was Harvest Home. It didn't reach a spot on the UK singles chart, but it did manage to get a few heads turned to their direction. One of those heads was Steve Lillywhite, which is just the fucking <laughs> just most proper name I've ever heard. Lillywhite. Yes, my name is Mr. Lillywhite. <laughs> yes. He famously worked on U2's first three albums, as well as done some stuff with Susie and the Banshees oh. and the Psychedelic Furs. Well, sh- oh, I like his resume a little bit better. Right? 
Honestly. Mm-hmm. Say what you will about U2, but their first few albums were pretty solid. That was before they became Bono and company. Yes. I have glaucoma. Bono, I've got glaucoma <laughs> and company. And you, you, need to, you don't even have a last name to end that with. I know, I don't. I, I, I realized that halfway through. But he was the final key in creating the quintessential big country sound for their debut album. He nurtured the band's talents where it was needed, and it was greatly needed on Bruce, who was much greener in the music world compared to his bandmates. See, he had the talent, but not the confidence. Steve spent a lot of time with him, building up his confidence and helping him try out basically any crazy ideas he came up with. Well, that's nice. Yeah. It's, he was the person who wasn't going to say no to him. He's like, you want to try that? Or let's try that. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Do it. Right? Just fucking do it, man. They also input rules that would keep them sounding unique. They decided against playing any blues notes because they didn't want to sound bluesy. Good. They treated the bass more like a third guitar and less like a rhythm instrument, giving Tony counter melodies to play against the other two guitars. I like it when bands do that. Right? I mean, honestly, yeah. I I really like it when, like, if I see a band that's just like a drummer and a bass player, like Death From Above 1979. Mm. They have so much more room to be more creative because they're treating the bass like a like a guitar more than yeah. a rhythm. You already have the drums. You have a rhythm section, technically. Yeah. So you can kind of treat the bass more like a guitar and, you know, do leads instead of well, just And think basic back shit. to our bassist appreciation episode. All of them, from like Esperanza to fucking Getty Lee, mm-hmm. all of them treat the bass like another guitar. Yeah. They don't just like keep the rhythm. They play yeah. these amazing counter melodies. Yeah. Or melodies even. Yeah. They discovered using harmonizers, delay, and reverb that they could give their guitars a different tone, one that makes them sound like bagpipes. That's why they sound like bagpipes. Yep, because they sound like bagpipes. And let's not forget the drums, where Mark was inspired to give them a bit of a marching feel without making it a marching song. He used the drum part of Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover and blend his own style in it. Steve loved the natural rhythm of it and encouraged Mark to just keep going with that. It's kind of like... um. They're taking very traditional Scottish sounding instruments or Scottish sounds mm-hmm. and updating them. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. In a doing. modern, I guess, what is this, 80s, 90s Yeah, way? I mean, it's modern. Yeah. In a more modern way that people haven't really heard before. Yeah, it's... Which makes it all the more bittersweet that they didn't get as big as they could have in the U.S. Because yeah. they could have influenced so many more people. I agree. I think the music world could have benefited from a little bit more big country. Yep. Just throwing that out there. And and more big cunts is all I'm saying. <laughs> we need a few more big cunts. Yep. Big cunts here. Just a few more. Just a couple. With all this work put into it, you think this album is going to be some real hotness, right? Mm. Yeah? Well, kids, you'd be right. Big Country's debut album, The Crossing, is still held in high regard even today as an acclaimed piece of work and just a damn bop. Yeah. It's a good album. It's solid. If you only know In a Big Country, you should go and check out The Crossing because the whole album together Oh yeah, is a pretty awesome experience. It really is. And going back to touching upon like how they make that unique sound, you know, they make a big deal about the fact that they don't use keyboards and synths to make those sounds. Yeah. 
they make it all throughout their own instruments and through experimentation. Truly the most impressive part to me is the fact that they really do make the guitars sound like bagpipes. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. Yeah, how do you fucking do that? Yeah, even... And they even make them sound like violins and stringed instruments because they just, like, use these different techniques. Mm -hmm. And they got creative and they had this producer who was 100% behind them and trying different things. Yeah. So it just goes to show if you let people, like, just experiment, it can turn out really good. Mm -hmm. But also have your get a grip friend because we have had some times where people have experimented and it did not end well. Yeah. You especially need that get a grip friend when you're like, but... A double album for my sophomore effort sounds like a great idea. Don't do it. It's never a good it's idea. It's never a good idea. Stop. Don't. Don't fucking do it. <laughs> it's more than just basic rock music. It has a modern twist, but also touches upon traditional Celtic sounds and epic moving songs. For a time, it got them classified as Celtic rock, which kind of led them to be compared unfavorably to Thin Lizzy. Mm. Because a lot of people be like, oh, you're just trying to be fucking Thin Lizzy. And they're like, I mean, that's great. We fucking love Thin Lizzy, but we're not. Yeah. No. I can see where they would get influence from Thin Lizzy, but not yeah. um, not be a copycat of it. No, I don't think that they're like Thin Lizzy at all. And I think the problem was that people would just categorize them as Celtic rock band. Yeah. And they would just be like, oh, well, Thin Lizzy is that. So you're that. And then you're like, but we're but not. No. And then people who want Thin Lizzy listen to Big Country and they're like, you're not Thin Lizzy. And they're like, we know. <laughs> what the fuck? You're not Thin Lizzy. You're like Fat Elizabeth. Damn. <laughs> that was blooded. a really bad joke. I'm no, sorry. I like it. It's really fucking terrible. <laughs> no, that was fucking terrible. I'm sorry. Go sit in the disappointment <laughs> corner. <laughs> it is technically hard to categorize them because... They even get a little proggy with songs like Poro Man. Is that how you say it? Poro Man? That's how I would say it. All right. What, it runs nearly eight minutes, and it definitely has, like, sections. <laughs> like acts. Yeah. Like, it really does feel like a prog song. <laughs> you're kind of sitting there, you're like, huh, you I bet really they, getting into this. I bet they listened to a lot of Dream Theater before they wrote that song. Was Dream Theater around in the 80s? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they... St- Actually... Mark has stated that he's heavily influenced by Genesis. Oh, well, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Although, arguably, Phil Collins' Genesis, not as proggy as Peter Gabriel Genesis. Yeah, you needed that fucking weird motherfucker. Weird ass shit that Peter Gabriel was bringing into it. Oh, but Peter also, Gabriel. was this like early mid 80s? No, this is like 83. Okay, then. 83. Dream Theater wasn't around. No, yet. it wasn't. We're just going to go with Genesis. We'll go with Genesis. Probably yes. Yeah. Probably oh, yeah. yeah. Rush. Yes. Rush. Yes. Yes. Genesis. Yes. 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 Anything with just one word. They were prog. Yes. <laughs> and the maturity of the lyrics were praised as well. Songs like Inwards and Chance deal with loss. And they even touch upon the historical with the song The Storm, which is about the 1745 Jacobite Rev- Rev- Rebellion. Why could I say Jacobite when I couldn't say Rebellion? I don't know. Jacobite. Thank you. <laughs> Jacobite. I didn't even know what that was. I had to look it up. Um, You can learn all about it if you watch Outlander. Oh, is that what Outlander's about? Uh, at least the first season, first or second season, but oh. yeah. Uh, main character, what's his face? Sure. Ja- Jamie is a Jacobite. I think. 
I watched it a while ago. I don't remember. It's a real stupid show, but I kind of really like it. You just it. watched it for the steamy sex scenes. No, they're not really even that, like, steamy. Um, I like historical dramas. I know. I know you do. Well, for those of you who are like me and don't fucking know what that is. <laughs> the Jacobite? Yes, you did it. Yeah, the rebellion was an attempt by Charles Edward Stuart to regain the British throne for his father, James Francis Edward Stuart. It took place during the War of the Austrian Succession, when the bulk of the British army was fighting in mainland Europe and proved to be the last in a series of revolts that began in 1689. Mm-hmm. Yup. I found that on Wikipedia, because <laughs> I saw that and I'm like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. I had no idea. I knew a little bit about it, but the Jacobites were always very confusing to me. English history is complicated, guys. Oh my god, Big Country's a prog band. Yeah, they're writing long songs about history. Yeah, they're a prog oh band. Oh my god! Big Country's just prog rock! Kinda. Holy shit! Prog rock with guitars that sound like bagpipes? Yeah, but also that's kind of proggy. But also the best prog band? Yes. Definitely. Question mark? <laughs> You're not Thin Lizzy. You're just a prog band. They were seriously miscategorized. Oh my god, sincerely. But of course, the song that really made an impression was In a Big Country. It received heavy rotation on radio and all around the world. And the music video was a hit on MTV. Oh, and, I don't re- even remember the music video. Yeah, it's just kind of them playing. Is a big country playing then, in a big country? Yeah, and then there's like a little story going on. Oh, okay. It's 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 fine. It's an '80s music video. It doesn't really make sense, of course. But like, it's trying really hard to be epic too. All of this helped to get The Crossing to sell over two million copies worldwide and get three Grammy nominations. Huh? They never won one though. Oh, There's wow. a cute little story I, I saw in one of the interviews, though. They talk about, apparently, um, they thought they were going to win the Grammy, because I guess they have, they'll have you rehearse winning a Grammy, mm-hmm. like, receiving it. Yeah. I don't know if they still do that, but they at least used to do it in the 80s. And so they had Big Country rehearse it. I guess they don't have everyone rehearse it either. I don't know. Or they said they didn't think anybody else rehearsed it, so they were like, oh, well, if they're having us rehearse it... Clearly, we won. All I know is that anytime somebody performs a song and then they are nominated in the category that they announce immediately after their performance, the mm-hmm. person who just performed always wins it. Probably because they're like, this works. Like, they're already there. Wise. They're yeah. already fucking here. Yeah. Yeah. They don't like have to change and go back to their seat and then. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so they thought they were going to win it. So when they're, like, announcing, like, you know, here's the nominees and the winner is Boy George. And they're like, what? <laughs> Fuck. We thought we were going to win this. Fuck the U.S. This fucking Fuck blows. Grammys. But also the U.K. because Boy George is British. Uh-huh. So, like, you cannibalizing yourselves, U.K. <laughs> You're not. I mean, Karma Chameleon was a jam, too. Yeah, but I would much rather listen to In a Big Country than Karma Chameleon. You're right. Right very, now. very much. Yeah, you know. It, it's one of those songs that I never have to hear again, ever. No, I could still hear it. It's not, it hasn't hit Hotel California levels for me yet. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. If I, I never am, hear Hotel California I am again. I'm done 
with Hotel California. Dear Eagles, we are done with Hotel California. You can retire it now. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And now Big Country was a big deal. (laughs) You're welcome. They were touring with U2 and performing on Saturday Night Live. They really seem to be turning into the next big thing. Mm -hmm. But... So wanting to strike while the match is hot, Big Country gets into the studio so they can begin to work on their sophomore release, hoping to make magic twice and have another hit record on their hands. Were they successful? Well, you're just going to have to wait until after the commercial break to find out. Cliffhanger! (laughs) We'll be right back. We back. Hi. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Welcome back to Rock Candy Podcast. Wanna hear more about our big cunt? <laughs> <laughs> Wanna hear more about what it's like to be in a big cunt tree? <laughs> I always like say the cun. I don't say the T. I don't know why. Because we're Americans from New York and that's what we do. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. All right, picture it. It's 1984. <laughs> picture it. Sicily, 1984. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, like, we were just born. It's fine. We could picture this. Yeah. Yeah. It's 1984, and while working on their next album, Big Country releases the song Wonderland as a standalone single. It still possesses the feel of their debut album, but it didn't really move far in the U.S. charts. They did land a top 10 spot in their homeland of the U.K., though. And many critics have praised this as a probably their best single. Oh, it's a, it's, it's, it's a bop. It's a jam. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to them. For their next album, they decided to record in Stockholm, Sweden at Polar Studios, owned by ABBA. And they <laughs> were, Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like, hi, ABBA. <laughs> yeah, ABBA. But yeah, okay. They brought back Steve for producing. However, this time around, there were technical issues abound everywhere. Okay, so, Abba, what did you do? What'd you do, Abba? Dancing queen my ass. (laughs) See, at this point in the music industry, digital recording was indeed a thing, but it was in its early days where many were still just trying to figure it out. So Abba was trying to be, like, super technologically forward and they just fucked it up? I mean, maybe. Well, it's just more of a learning curve thing. Steve was working with new equipment for the first time, and as he was going, he was teaching it to himself. So he didn't fully grasp the yeah. whole how to like the best thing. ways to use it and utilize it to for the best sound. Okay, that kind of thing. I mean, did it not come with an owner's manual? Probably not. But what does? Abba, Abba, come on! What are you doing? Come on! You're making costumes out of your owner's manuals. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it was a lot of experimenting. Like it was last time, but this time around, the experimenting fell flat. Well, it wasn't really like experimenting with sounds and, ooh, let's make this cool song because we haven't heard this sound before. It was more like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't know. Let's see. I don't know. We're going to fuck it up, but sure. (laughs) We're going to see. They went real Mr. Poopy butthole with it. Yeah, they really did, though. Oof, they did the best they did. They yeah. got smacked it. Yeah, they did, but, you know. Sometimes God smacking it ain't enough, though. <laughs> Sometimes it's just not. Sometimes God smack just ain't enough. <laughs> oh, my God. It didn't help that they were still doing some touring and also going through their own personal life changes. 
you know, there's marriages, children, and just overall adjusting to the rock star life. Unlike older rock stars or punks, Big Country was part of this kind of new movement of rock stars who tried to stay a little more humble and be grateful for the life that they were living. So, like, they would meet fans and be pretty nice about it, and they weren't, like, aloof or egotistical. But they were also trying to, like, be rock stars, but also go home and have a family life. Yes. And that's virtually impossible. Yeah. So, I mean, this doesn't stop things from getting stressful as hell. Yeah. At this point, you kind of have to, like, either bring your family out on the road with you all the time, or sacrifice that kind of life for the road exactly if you're going to be the kind of band that makes a living off of being on the road Mm -hmm. if you're if you're going to have that kind of level of success then you kind of have to make that choice and i would say at this point they're probably in like their late 20s yeah and you know i mean that's still like kind of formative years ish and like you're really Mm -hmm. hitting that peak of adulthood yeah it was a weird fucking time for them yeah. And, like, they're, like, trying to be working class guys, but, like, also rock stars. And also, if you are working class guys still, um, you're still expected to have that family life. Yeah. And it's... have that picket fence with the house and the 2.5 kids and, That's you know, a lot. Like, you're... I'm really, I'm really, like, thinking about the words you're saying right now. Like, that's too much. That's asking a lot of somebody whose career is to make music and make popular music. I mean, that's asking a lot. We 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 host a podcast and work day jobs and have dogs, and the thought of getting a house freaks me out. I mean, I have the house, and it's not going well. <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, life is hard. It is. A combination of all these factors could maybe be attributed to why their 1984 album, Steel Town, didn't raise the commotion their debut did. Many critics initially panned it, saying that the sound was muddy and dense, and the themes were hard to grasp for anyone outside of Scotland. Well, maybe if ABBA had a better fucking studio. This is really just ABBA's fault. I'm blaming it all on ABBA. Yeah, that's fair. Waterloo and Fernando. Mostly Fernando. But Fernando. And Mamma Mia, because... Fuck Mamma Mia. Fuck Mamma Mia. (sighs) My, my. How did you fuck this up? You fucked it up, though. You did, though. The name Steel Town is another historical reference to the town of Corby, where many went to work for Stewart's and Lloyd's Steelworks in 1935, the height of the Great Depression. And this is all well and good until the 80s, where the business went down the drain and many were left without a job. Oh. So they're singing about, like, you know, all this disenchantment and, like... Two depressions. Yeah, there you go. While it lacked the singles The Crossing had, and it didn't have the same staying power... Steel Town did enter the UK charts at number one, but in the US it only peaked at number 70. The chances of them seeing great success on this side of the pond was kind of slim at this point. Yeah. If you're not going to hit it with your sophomore, we're going to leave you alone. And it's even really hard to hit it with your sophomore album, so... Seriously. Think about the number of artists, like, from across the pond that just never did. Yeah. It's a lot. At this point, the music press took this opportunity to change the portrayal of big country from these jolly Scotsmen, that everyone, oh, that fun, jolly, happy men, to this grim and pompous Scotsman. What? That they're trying to push these social, you know, vendettas and, 
Oh, and you've got like morals and it's the eighties. Nobody wanted to hear about this shit. Nobody wanted to hear about their disenfranchisement of their lives. Nobody wanted to hear how depressing things were. Everybody's hopped up on cocaine and wanted to hear about how hear about the big country dreams stay with you. Everyone's just Christian Bale in American Psycho. Kinda. Making money, snorting coke, killing people. Really upset about business cards. Yeah. Yeah. They were no longer being viewed as these Scottish darlings. And with that, the honeymoon phase was over. That's lame. It is lame. That's a really bad promotional uh, tact yeah. to take, I guess. Yeah. But they still had the popularity to land them a spot on the Band-Aid single, Do They Know It's Christmas? Oh. But do they? Oh. Do they have any idea? Do you think they know about Christmas? We should tell them with a song. Hey, do you know, do the people in Africa... Do they know it's Christmas? Let's all be a big bunch of white people telling them it is. Yeah. Hey, there's a couple black people in there. A couple. Just a kind. They're a nice little handful just to balance it. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, that fucking song. Totally makes up for it. You know. If you want to hear us really bitch about that song, you can go to last year's Christmas episode. Tis the season, motherfuckers. Yeah. Between 84 and 85, they were touring successfully to promote their albums. They even got to tour with Queen for a little bit. They opened for Queen on Queen's last show. This makes far more sense than Alice Cooper. Far more sense than Alice Cooper. Who, whoever made that show should get a promotion. Yeah, that was correct. Whoever did the Alice Cooper one should get fucking fired. Yeah, seriously. I think it was the same guy. It's fine. Well, he he, made up for it. He made up for it. He learned his lesson. Yes. In 85, they recorded the soundtrack for the Scottish movie Restless Natives. And it was around this point that everyone noticed there was a little problem with Stuart. Okay. Same story as every other band that we ever fucking talk about. Second verse, same as first? Kind of. Touring burns you out. Yeah. Did you know it's hard to go on tour? It's a little bit hard. It's a little bit hard. And many end up finding a crutch to deal with it. Stuart found alcohol to be an adequate solution. Oh, I thought you were going to no say heroin. heroin. <laughs> Again, you know what? Like, how many episodes since our last heroin incident? It's been a few. It's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute, but no heroin. I don't know. Yeah, it's been a minute. I can't even think about who. Yeah. Well, good for us. Right? I <laughs> good guess. for them? Good for everyone. All right. With his increasing instability, he claimed he was quitting big country, but he didn't actually end up quitting big country. He just said he wanted to. Right. So keep that in mind. It confused the hell out of the industry and nearly cost them a spot in the famous Live Aid concert. See, the industry can act as a small town and gossip spreads fast and insanely inaccurately. Mm -hmm. PR believed them to be breaking up. Especially when you don't have Twitter to immediately be able to correct yourself. This is the 80s, guys. We did not have news move as fast as it does now. News moves. It didn't back in the 80s. (laughs) We didn't have news moves to help everything out. We had news stops. (laughs) But last minute, they discovered that wasn't actually the case. They weren't breaking up. So they let Big Country be part of the All-Star finale. However, Mm. they weren't able to get themselves a spot to perform solo Perhaps ruining massive exposure to the world that bands like U2 got that day. Ugh. Fucking U2. I mean, fucking I'm U2. sorry. 
But Look, fucking U2. 80s U2 is fine. I'm fine with 80s U2. You Even know what? like one or two 90s albums. I actually really, really like Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah. That song is fantastic. That's a, that's, I was going to say that's a jam. I don't want to call it a jam, though. It's just a good song. Um, Basically, like, mid early mid-90s U2, Akhtung Baby was a good album. Mm, yeah. That was, like, their. I think that was their last good album. After that? Because that was, like, 93-ish, maybe? Yeah, after that, I'm like, nah. Look, once... Once Bono started wearing those sunglasses, it was all over for me. Once he got the glaucoma. Once he got... Sorry, Bono. Once he got your fucking glaucoma. (laughs) I just can't. Some people have heroin. Bono has glaucoma. (laughs) It's fine. There are so many U2 fans right now, right, that are probably just like, why do you guys hate U2 so much? Sorry. It's just Bono, guys. And I don't even hate... You know what? I don't even hate him. It's just so easy. It's just an easy target. So easy. You know, I'll 100% own up to it. I don't hate Bono. He's just an easy target. Yeah. I'm kind of just following the herd with this one. Yeah. And, like, their later music is not good. No. Guys, like, like anything after, like, mid-90s is just not good. And that's fine. Basically, that one video where it's just the edge and his face and somebody is, like, People are just putting their feet all over his face. Yeah. That's when I was like, no, I'm done with you two. I'm also, done. I can't. Also, The Edge. Also, The Edge. I think that's enough of a reason for us to not like you two. You're welcome. Someday we'll do an episode or two on them and it's going to be a fun time. Oh my God. Woof. Well, this whole fucking debacle with Live Aid was enough to shake some sense into Stuart and he decided to stop drinking. He joined AA and committed to the whole sober lifestyle. Good for him. Right? And with that, Big Country got themselves back in the studio to work on more music. Cool. And at this point in their career, they were beginning to see a lot of record label interference. Hmm. Because they're not doing great, but the record label wants them to do great. So what's the record label going to do? They're going to take charge. Hey, you should do these things. Right? Here's a list. We're going to make you do them. Fucking do them. They got a new A&R guy in order to get them to top the charts again. And then they got a new producer, and everyone was just kind of at this point deciding what they wanted the band to sound like, instead of letting the band just sound like the band. Okay. One time, Bruce came into the studio to find the producer laying na- laying down new guitar parts without even asking Bruce to do it. I'm sorry. Yeah? Is this Bob Rock from some kind of monster? But Bob Rock can do whatever he wants. Bob Rock is allowed to do that because he wears the dragon embroidered shirt. And has that hair. And he has that hair. And he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. And he knows what's best. This guy is not Bob Rock. He is not. Overall, the band saw this interference as them losing control over their own music. Obviously. Duh. Despite all the issues surrounding its creation... Their third album, The Seer, was still a big hit. And actually, I will say, this is an album you could probably listen through again, like The Crossing. Like That's this, cool. this has some fucking bops on it. It had successful singles like the title track, The Seer, which featured Kate Bush on vocals. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's a good song. That's a good song. Kate Bush ain't, ain't, ain't meh, meh. something to shake a stick at. I already used that. I know you oh. did, but it also works because Bush. <laughs> Sure. Nature. Yeah. Sticks. She is no shrubbery. (laughs) I don't know. It's not a thing. I don't know. We're going to start saying it now. She ain't no shrubbery. She ain't no shrubbery. Yo, that girl ain't no shrubbery. (laughs) It's a thing. I'm I'm owning it. 
I'm owning it. Yeah. You invented it. There you go. Take it. Take it. Take it and do with it what you will. Yeah. Because it's girl a thing ain't now. No sh- she ain't no shrubbery. She ain't no shrubbery. The other single, Look Away, even charted in the U.S. and hit number one in Ireland. So, they're oh, okay, the seer, we're coming back. We got some good mm. shit. All right, all right. There are two mixes of this album. The first was done with the band's approval, but it was rejected by the label for not sounding commercial enough. So, they remixed it again and released that one. And that's actually the one you hear. Okay. And it is good. Yeah. For what it's worth. Not bad. Many praise the album for being a return to form for Big Country, going back to that big sound that made them so popular in the first place. Considering the success of The Seer, the label execs wanted to make a really solid effort to win the U.S. audience back. They're seeing it. They're like, mm, we can taste it. We got it. But let me guess. They fucked it up? Well... They tried with their 1988 follow-up album, Peace in Our Time. They brought in producer Peter Wolf, who worked on Starships We Built This City and Hearts These Dreams. Yeah. Right? You're like, okay. Jams. It has to work with that resume, right? You would think. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it didn't work. No. Ooh. They lost that edge that made them unique, trading it in for pop sounds. I mean, arguably, Heart kind of did the same thing. Well, yeah, and but like, I think it kind of worked for Heart. It did work for Heart. It's not going to work for Big Country. Yeah, and actually, this album is bad. (laughs) This is a bad album. I listened to like a good chunk of it. I'm like, uh, uh, this ain't it. Oh no. That is disappointing. It's not good. And it does it does sound like Starship and it does sound like 80s heart and that's why it doesn't work. Yeah, their country n- isn't those bands. They're not the kind of band that can transition into that kind no. of uh look and sound. Heart can do that. Right. Jefferson Starship can do that. Starship Jeff- Jefferson Airplane Jefferson, Jefferson Starship Starship Airplane Starship can Jesus. But Starship can do that starship <laughs> starship no not that starship. starfleet that's starfleet it yes is. but the point is yes those bands man we're gonna have to do a transition from we're gonna have to do a timeline of airplane to starship someday because that shit's <laughs> bananas that is i don't know why that works but it does that is a several episode thing i think and i don't know if i'm mentally prepared for it i don't think any of us can deal with that right now No, maybe in 2020 2019 has been shit i don't think i cannot i cannot deal with a three-parter on jefferson airplane jefferson starship and starship Starship. no mini mini series no no we're not ready for that guys that's prime time shit that i'm not ready maybe next summer yeah. Maybe. Let's see how 2020 starts to shake out. <laughs> but anyway, everyone saw through this attempt to win back the American audience, and they completely dismissed it. And coincidentally, this is their worst performing album in the U.S. to date. Honestly, I'm not surprised. Yeah. With this plan going bust, manager Ian Grant came up with an alternative. What if instead of trying to get the Western market, they, fo- they focused on the Eastern Okay. So they decided to play in Russia's first international rock festival. Oh, you're talking about Russia. Oh, yeah. No, you thought I was going to Asia. I wasn't. I went Russia. Okay. Yeah. 
I realized when I typed that, I'm like, everyone's going to think Asia. It's not Asia. It's Russia. I like the twist, though. What's a twist? Mm, they twist. Well, they played in Russia's first rock, International Rock Festival in 1988, and they followed it up with a brief tour. Mind you, still Soviet Russia. <laughs> the idea was that by performing to the USSR, they could break some of the stereotypes and expose the Soviets to rock music outside of their own country. It had mixed results. Some found it to be a helpful way to expose not just big country, but overall world popular music to Russia. But many saw it as an insincere political statement. Okay. It was weird. I mean, Russia was kind of iffy. Right? At this point. Russia so... wasn't ready to play ball. Yeah. Still Soviet Russia. In Soviet Russia, big country, dream you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. That's how fucked up it was. By the end of the 80s, Stewart decided the band needed to split. It had reached its conclusion. So everyone went off to do their own thing. Mark went to drum for acts like Sting and Pete Townshend and Tears for Fears, and he went back to session like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. But in 91... They all got back together and decided that there's still something left in them and they wanted to try it again. Except for Mark, because bitch be going hard at that session playing. At this point, he was already stretching himself pretty thin. So the best he could offer them was working as a session drummer, which was really no different than before, except now he just couldn't go on tour with them. I mean, if you got a solid gig as a session musician, then don't fuck that up. Yeah, in interviews, he says that it wasn't that he didn't want to go back to the band, but he's somebody who always has to be working. And if I guess we can relate to. And if you are like, if you have a solid gig as a session drummer, session drummer, and that's your thing, that's, that's how you get your work is yeah. word of mouth. If you take a year off and go tour, you're going to lose so much. You're going to lose everything. Gets a lot from working with other artists. Right. And unlike the other guys in the band, he didn't have the wife and kids in house. Mm -hmm. His life was music. Right. So for him, when the band was like, we're going to split, he's like, all right, I'm going to do my own thing. And they get back together and he's like, I want to be a part of this, but you guys need to understand this is my life. Right. So he wasn't doing it in like a shitty way. He was doing it in this kind of, okay, but I have a lot else going on right Mm -hmm. now. So let's work with it. And they did. He worked with them on their sixth album, No Place Like Home. They did a total 180 on their sound, and it was not the best choice for them. Actually, if there's any album that I would say skip over, it is this one. It's trash. What did they do? Well, (laughs) in all honesty, it sounds kind of like country music, which they already had so much trouble with. So here's the funny thing about big country. A lot of people dismiss them because they thought the name... Big country meant they were country music. When they are the farthest thing from country music. Exactly. So in America, at first, people were like, oh, they're country. In Russia, when they were trying to hit it, people were like, oh, it's country. Which is kind of weird because I feel like mid to late 80s was like the heyday for country music. That was when modern country music became a fucking thing. She got the Judds. You got the Judds. You, you have Martina McBride. Mm. You have Billy Ray Cyrus. Mm. You have all of, like, Tanya Tucker and all of them that are really making names for themselves. Vince Gill, mm. Garth Brooks, 
They all got late their shit going. Yeah, late 80s, early 90s. That yeah. was the heyday for that shit. Very much so, so. you would think, yeah, that this would hit really big in the States. You would think. They would. But I guess country people are expecting them to sound country. And then they get, like, guitars sounding like bagpipes. And they're like, what the fuck is, is going, going on right here? now? Well, funny little story about that. The album was never released in the U.S. Hmm. Because it was garbage. (laughs) It's terrible performance actually got them dropped by their label. Oh, no. From then on, they became a minor act, and only one album was released by a major label, their 1993 album, The Buffalo Skinners, which was released by Chrysalis. That's a pretty, like, morbid name. The Buffalo Skinners? Yeah. And then the cover's just these two buffaloes, and you're like, what are you going to do with those buffaloes? Oh, that's like a PETA video waiting to happen. It really is, though. They continued a few more releases throughout the 90s, but nothing really stuck, and they didn't see the success of their Halcyon days. By the mid-90s, it was clear that Stuart was heavily drinking again. Oh. Fell back off the wagon. Cool. Hard. Ian had thought a change of location may help with his worsening problems. So he suggested that Stuart go to Nashville to hook up with other musicians and try to refigure his focus. Instead, it just kept him away from all the people who understood his problems and could have helped him. I was just going to say, like, going to a completely unfamiliar place where you don't know anybody and you don't have any social network whatsoever, that's not where you go to overcome an alcohol problem. Because no. you know what you're going to do? You're going to make connections by going to the bar. Mm-hmm. Ian's initial thought was just to visit Nashville and study with others. One does not merely visit Nashville. I mean, we did. We did, and we're still haunted by it. Those bachelorette parties, though. Woof. But why? But why? Stuart was clearly becoming very influenced by the popular country music of the Nashville scene. Hey! Like everyone we just talked about. He wanted to put Celtic music and country music together and worked on a lot of side projects to make that happen. No. 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 I would rather you do heroin right now. No. Wow! No. No. Get out of here. Fuck off. Get, Get out. The fuck out of here with that shit. In 99, after the release of Driving to Damascus, which for some reason in the States was called John Wayne's Dream. What? Yeah, they just changed the name of the album. I don't know why. Because Americans 90s. don't know what Damascus is, Yeah, I guess. I guess. Big Country once again did a small tour for about a year. And Stuart's drinking wasn't any better. He nearly missed their final show due to drunkenly getting on the wrong flight. <laughs> he was supposed to go to Malaysia, not... and he ended up in, like, Indianapolis or something. That's not funny. It's but... not funny, it's but funny. also you're like, what the fuck? But how do you fuck that it's up? It's so ridiculous. Why are you drunk that that much in an airport? How are you that drunk in an airport? You, like, you don't get that drunk until you're on the plane. How did you get past security? Ha- 80s. 90s? 90s. 99s. It was definitely pre-9-11 days. Yeah, that's how you get on a plane that shit-faced. Yeah. The gig wasn't great either, so again, the band decided a break was in order for everyone to kind of get their lives back together. In theory, that makes sense. It should have worked. They should have been able to take a break, clean up, and come back to make more music. Mm Mm-hmm. If you tell me somebody dies, I'm going to lose it. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) Keep Um, going. Keep going! Unfortunately, in November 2001, Stuart went missing for a few weeks. 
The band reached out to fans via the website, asking if anyone had a sighting of him to contact the police. Friends and family were at a complete loss as to where he could have gone. What the fuck? He had been up to this point doing kind of this thing where he would just kind of leave and go stay at random hotels and just get really blackout drunk and then come back, but then go do it again. Okay. But then on December 16th, he was found in a hotel in Honolulu, Hawaii. He was hanging from a rail in the closet where he took his own life. Oh, fuck He was only 43 years old. That sucks. Yeah. He was very young and he just suffered from crazy depression that nobody saw until of course it's too late and the drinking i mean the drinking is not if you are depressed do not fucking drink but also that is a huge red flag yeah and i mean nobody knew how to like get him to deal with it because at one point he dealt with it and they're like okay so go back and but then it happens again and it's 10 times worse exactly yeah whenever somebody comes out of rehab and goes back it's like it's even harder the next times yeah so he passed away unfortunately you may think that's where big country story ends however it is not in the aughts they did some like very light touring with tony taking over on lead vocals but they knew if they really wanted to continue they were gonna have to find someone to take over enter mike peters from the band the alarm who i guess are very big in the uk i've never really heard their stuff i've but never heard of them they're pretty big over there the Alarm had actually done some touring with Big Country after they met through mutual friends, you too. Ah! Both Bono, Aaron, Bono brought up both Mike and Stuart on stage to sting, sing with him one night, and that's when they met. And they became really good friends. He was very close to the BC guys, especially Stuart. And once, he, so Stuart even suggested he take over singing duties for him. And in hindsight, Mike kind of feels like that was Stuart's planning for his early departure. It's, again, all these fucking red flags that you're like, yeah, now I fucking see it. Yeah. By 2012, Tony decided he wanted to bow out of big country permanently. And so he retired, citing differences with his bandmates as the primary reason. And they replaced him with Simple Minds bassist Derek Forbes. Hmm. And one last final addition was Bruce's son, Jamie, who also played guitar with him. And it's really funny to watch them all in interviews because, like, Jamie is, like, 20-something and the rest of the guys are in their 50s. That's so weird. Like it's kind of like when, father and son. It's kind of like Roger Taylor's son, who is also a drummer, who yes. is now the drummer for The Darkness. Tiger Taylor. Tiger Taylor. <laughs> In 2013, they released a new album called The Journey, and it seemed Big Country was ready to go. Except that they weren't. <laughs> At all. What? <laughs> so they ended up replacing Mike on vocals with English singer Simon Hugh, and then a few years later, Derek was replaced with Scott Whitley. At this point, they seem pretty settled, but, like, I don't really know if this is going to stick at this point. Because I'm just going to make the argument right here and now. Big Country's days have probably passed. Mm -hmm. Especially with the death of Stuart. I think it's great that these guys stay together. They make music. They celebrate what they've done. But I don't think anything new that they come out with is going to hold a candle to their former glory. Right. So. Especially anything that they wrote and released 30 something years ago yeah so it's it's i don't want to be the debbie downer but i'm gonna be the debbie downer and say guys this ain't it and to be perfectly honest i did not realize that they continued releasing anything after the 80s were over oh yeah because their 90s stuff is not great i had no idea i thought they stopped in the 80s and i 
now. Their story to me paints a picture of a really talented group of guys who could have maintained longer staying power if it wasn't for these weird small hiccups in the absolutely worst times of their career. I mean, maybe they could have had a spot on Live Aid and that could have been what boosted them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe like if they took one slightly different method with making their sophomore album, maybe they still could have had that one hit that kept them alive. It's really weird how they just had these little tiny hiccups, Mm -hmm. but they were enough to like send this ripple effect down their entire career. Yeah. And were Stuart alive today? Yeah, I think they could possibly have a comeback, even a small one. Mm -hmm. I think if Stuart was around, yeah. Maybe, because the themes of their music would really resonate with people today. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, big, that makes big country's music so appealing is that it's really about the everyday person. They have many songs about blue-collar life, income equality, struggling through just daily life experiences, and also uplifting themes of opportunity and making it through tough obstacles. And I mean, right now, yeah, that's what people want to hear. Right. In the 80s, people didn't want you to tell them how shitty life was. Nowadays, like, yeah, fucking tell me how <laughs> shitty life is. Commiserate with me, please. We're all about commiserating right now. And so maybe that's just another factor, too, about Big Country, is they were all about commiserating. They were a band before their time. Mm-hmm. And even though we won't ever see them in their former glory, at the very least, their old stuff holds up today. And it's definitely worth your time to go back and listen through it. Go back and listen to Big Country it's good. It's worth it. It sticks. At least listen to The Crossing because that album is so good. That album's great. And even, I would say, The Seer. The Seer is very good, too. Mm-hmm. Look up at least their number ones. Even if you just go on Spotify and just like find like one of their greatest hits albums. It's good. It's all really solid music. Yeah. And it's just, it sucks. And you wonder, too, it's like if they happened to just have a little bit more success, would Stuart be alive? Could he have gotten the help he needed? Would he have fallen back off the wagon? Honestly, considering how alcoholism was handled at that time, mm, yeah, I don't know not. if very much would have been different. Um, Could have been worse. Could have been a little bit better. However, the actual end game was actually very sad yeah that's the worst part too it's not like it was cirrhosis of the liver it wasn't like drunk driving accident he just needed to escape so much that he killed himself and Mm -hmm. that's it's really sad it's sucks you know because again i think that they could have at least ended up with maybe like even if it was like nostalgia shit, I mean, Toto is still doing shit because people like rediscovered Africa. So who knows if oh, there was like a big resurgence of like nostalgia life is like real big right now. Right. People of our generation are really into getting back into the shit we were into when we were very young. Right. Um. So people, he, they could have had, they could have gone out on tour with another band that people were really into re-experiencing and probably would have been pretty successful. They definitely would have hit Spack up. Oh, yeah, they would have. <laughs> Spack or, like, The Palace or mm-hmm. something like that. Or some, like, like me and Monica, our friend Monica, went to I- the Isle of the 90s tour yep. a few years ago with, like, Salt and Peppa and Coolio and vanilla Color Me and fucking Vanilla Ice who wouldn't get off the goddamn stage. He... Wanted all the attention. He Jeb Bush the shit out oh, of that. Oh, he did. He did. He wanted everyone to clap for him. But if, like, 
If there was some kind of tour like that, but with more rock-oriented. Yeah, like in the 80s, like you could do Big Country and Toto and... Just, just shit like that. It would have killed. Simple Minds and shit like that, yeah. yeah. would have killed. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I mean, it sucks. It's just, it's a shame and it sucks, but at least celebrate their music that they had put mm-hmm. out and go listen to it now because it's really good. Yeah. It is really good. And We're, we're bringing back Big Country. Yeah. Bring it back. back big cunts. Yeah, big cunts. Bringing it back. Bringing it back. <laughs> and I mean, so thanks Long Range Sarcasm for getting us to listen to The Crossing and exposing us to something that we didn't realize was so fucking good. Something that was kind of a joke to us. Yeah. <laughs> that turned real serious. It turned real serious <laughs> real fast, guys. That's what podcasting does sometimes. You're like, oh, I fell down this rabbit hole that I didn't know existed. Yeah. Ooh. And then you get a whole episode out of it, and it's really good. Yeah. Hope you guys liked the whole episode. <laughs> Ended on a real downer there. When somebody tells you to listen to something, do it. It's a good, there's a good reason for you know, saying. Yeah. yeah. Moral of the story. If someone tells you to check out artists, do it. You might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks so much for listening. Appreciate you and love you. And if you're digging everything... You should go visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. You can find more episodes. You can comment on them. You can toss us an email. You can find our social medias and hit us up on those as well because we social media. We have those. Yeah, we have to. <laughs> because we have it's, to. It's because a requirement it's now. It's assholes. Oh, I'm sick of you all knowing what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> <laughs> we can't delete our Facebooks. No. We just can't. Not anymore. Sorry. In Soviet Russia, book faces you. Oh <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Social media. No. What? <laughs> oh. Book does face you. Yeah. Facebook's you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Soviet Russia is so scary. Uh, yeah. uh, true. It is, though. True. It is. Guys, have you seen Chernobyl? <laughs> I'm still stuck on oh, that. Oh, but if you haven't, like, fucking go see it. Also, yeah. that was in the Ukraine, but still, same. No, still terrifying. Still same. Yeah, if you want to hear more about music and less about <laughs> HBO shows, you should go to our network, Pantheon Podcasts. Mm-hmm. We're there. We got a bunch of friends there who, they're all talking about music, whether it be album reviews or just times in music or just songs or bands. And you got it all. And arguably, they make far less soviet russia jokes than we do so that's a blessing yeah you know what though like shout out to pantheon podcast and is anyone else talking about soviet russia right now is it really just us Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. let us know let us know though guys and during this holiday season if you're feeling especially generous and want to give us a wonderful gift if you didn't blow your load on all your kids already yeah yeah we are your children You can give us gifts, too. We act about as mature as your children. You can blow your load on us as well. Hmm. 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 Phrasing. Um, But you can do that by becoming a patron. Yes. And you can go to patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast and give us your hard-earned money, and you can get some meager swag in return (laughs) sweet bonus episode yeah we'll have a fun one this month for the holidays oh it's gonna be really fun you're gonna want to hear it yeah because it's really good it's only for patrons so yeah 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 yeah. so So patrons y'all are in for a treat so hit up that patreon get on that shit because you're gonna want to hear it yeah yeah you are very nice very exciting and actually i mean you know holidays are coming in so we're going to be taking a break pretty soon. we got a couple more episodes left for you guys in the chamber. We do 
accept gifts of the physical t- physical kind and also of the Venmo kind if you would like to give us something. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we're desperate, guys. It's been a year. It's the holidays. I'm desperate. <laughs> and I mean, in return- Guys, I already told you I'm house poor, so come on. She is house poor. This is why I don't have a house. <laughs> it's terrifying. Arguably, my rent is lower than- My mortgage is less than your rent. Oh, no, it is. 100%. But I also like. But you live don't in have a, to fix my own stuff. And you live in a nice part of Troy. I, I don't. Yeah, your I street don't. sucks. They didn't even plow it. It's snowmageddon outside right now. They didn't even plow it. Anyway, well, let's end in, this fucking yeah. episode. Tune in next week. We're gonna have some more fun stories. But until then, party on, Ashley. Ooh, party on, Maggie. Cling and party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. With some big country, we've got big cunts. I have to pee again. Oh my god. Big cunt, small bladder. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Liquid bleach, liquid bleach, Clorox makes clothes bright. But what about these cloudy wine glasses? Add glass cleaner to my cart. Adding Clorox disinfecting bleach to your cart. What? No, for glassware. Clorox can also make glassware sparkle, keep flowers fresh, and remove chocolate, wine, all your usual stains. Rude. Clean anything with the versatile Clorox disinfecting bleach. Discover more hacks at Clorox.com learn. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.